Good morning. Uh, we're uh, continuing on uh, in this uh, great book today. We'll be uh, back in chapter one here in, in a few minutes. But uh, I was thinking uh, the other day about my, my sophomore year of college. Uh, I was broke. I was poor. Uh, Christmas is right around the corner. And I was on my way to an appointment, and I stopped and I got a, uh, a meal at McDonald's, and they were running the Monopoly game at, at the time. And uh, so there was a little sticker on my drink, and I peeled the sticker off, and it was an instant win sticker for $500. All right? Thank you. All right? So it was a long time ago, but I appreciate the uh, excitement. So, um, and at that point in my life, the $500 instant win, to be honest with you, it might as well have been a million dollars. Uh, for me, it was a big deal. You might call it a Christmas miracle, all right? So uh, it, was, it was a Christmas miracle for me. And I'll tell you, a lot of thoughts went through uh, my head at the time that I won that. Um, and uh, I was overjoyed, excited. Uh, but let me tell you what didn't go through my head when I won that. What didn't go through my head was, how on earth can McDonald's afford to pay me $500, right? How on earth could they possibly afford to pay? That thought never went through my head. I knew that $500 for them is like an hour of Big Macs, right? Um, so I knew that they had the authority to do it. I knew they had the ability to do that. I knew they had the means to write that check to me with absolutely no problem. Now, contrast that example with this example that I used uh, last Sunday at the end of service. Let's say for a minute, that I promise, all right, this is not happening, this is just an illustration, but I promise that next Sunday, every man, woman, and child that attends church is going to get $1,000, right? Every man, woman, and child that attends is going to get $1,000. Now, a couple thoughts would go through your head if I were to say that, all right? And again, for legal purposes, I'm not, but... Um, a couple of thoughts that go through your head. Um, one of them is we need to cancel our plans for next Sunday, right? We're going to be at church, right? So we're not uh, going uh, to, the, to the beach or on vacation or whatever. We got to be at church. But the next thought that would go through your head is a very simple question. Can Steve do that, right? Does he have the authority? Well, yes, I have the authority to do uh, what I want with my own money, all right? Does, so the authority thing is yes, but does he have the ability now we're getting to it, right? Does he have the means to write a check to every man, woman, and child for $1,000? The answer to that is no. All right, so, so I might have the desire, right? I, might, I certainly have the authority. I do not have the ability, right? And I do not have the means, all right? So we're gonna be in Galatians 1, if you wanna open your Bibles up there. Uh, we started out last week, let me tie all this together, talking about the good news of God's grace that Paul felt the need to proclaim to the Galatian, to the Christians living in, in this kind of Galatia region. And um, the gospel that, that Paul preached, he knew coming out of that, was, there was gonna be a really important question uh, coming out of his proclamation of the gospel. And, and it's this, can we trust you? D is Jesus gonna do what you promised that he is going to do? Can we trust this gospel of good news? Is it going to happen? Does Jesus have the, the desire and the ability and uh, the means to do what you promised Jesus is going to do? And Paul knew immediately that this was such good news that people were gonna have this question. It, can Jesus do this, right? Paul, can we trust your message? He knew all these questions were going to come out of this. And so in uh, Galatians 1, starting uh, in verse 11, he wants to kind of address this. And he said, all right, so I want you to know, brothers and sisters, 
that the gospel I preach to you is not out of human origin, right? I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God. I tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond my own age and many among my own people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did, not, I, I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went to Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas. I stayed with him for 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that, that what I am writing to you is no lie. Then I went to Syria uh, and, and Cilicia, and I was previously unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy, and they praise God uh, because of me. Now, you may remember kind of the working definition that we have from from, uh, last week about what Paul's version of the good news is. And here it is on the screen for you. Here's, if you wanted to just do it in a phrase, in one kind of sentence, it's this. Jesus gave himself for our sins, right? That is the gospel as succinctly as we can say it, that Jesus gave himself for our sins. Paul, as a religious leader, uh, he was uh, very, very, as he mentions in this text, very zealous and very intent about his own righteousness and his own goodness. And he believed that his own righteousness and his own goodness could earn good favor with God could earn good standing with God, that the way he knew that he and God were going to be okay in this life and the way that he knew he and God were going to be okay in the next life was through his own righteousness and his own goodness. And Paul needed to be reminded of an important lesson that he'll write to the churches in Rome. And here it is. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You may sin in a different way than I sin, uh, but we both sin. And our sin has separated us from a good, holy, and righteous God. And this is why the Bible says the wages of sin, the cost of sin is death. It is death of that relationship with God that we were created to have. And here's the thing about Jesus. He was not okay with that. He was not okay with your sin separating you from a good, holy, and righteous God. He couldn't live with that reality. So the gospel says the wages of sin is death and that Jesus died in our place. He died on the cross in our place so that we could know, follow, and worship God. And here's why this is so important. We talked about this heavy last week. So let me just kind of mention it very briefly. But you were created for this. I believe that when God was putting you together in your mother's womb, that he was putting in you gifts. He was putting in you abilities. He was putting in you with a sense of mission. But he was also, I believe this wholeheartedly, he was placing inside of you a desire to know God, to worship God, to follow God. Every human being has this desire. And so when Jesus saw that our sin was keeping that from happening, he was not good with it. He was not cool with it. He was not okay with that. And so he gave himself on the cross so that we could know God. Here's the truth about what's happening in our culture. 
our culture wants to break everyone into two categories, good guys and bad guys. Are you a good guy or are you a bad guy? That's what our culture wants to do. You know what grace says? Grace says there are bad guys and there's Jesus. Right? That's what grace says, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's, there's bad guys and, and, there's, and there's Jesus, right? And, and that Jesus came as the hero of the story. Jesus came as the good guy, and, and he went to the cross to pay for our sins so we could know, honor, and worship God. And this is called the doctrine of grace that Paul's going to talk about all in Galatians. And grace will never make sense to you. It never will. If you fall into the trap of breaking everybody into good guys and bad guys, because as soon as you fall into that, there's good guys and they're bad guys. Guess what category you usually place yourself in, right? You usually place yourself, and I do it too. You usually place yourself in the category of good guy, we all do it, and this is what our culture tells us to do. There's bad people and there's good people, and of course I'm one of the good people, right? And you'll never recognize your need for Jesus. You'll never recognize your need for his forgiveness. And so, you know, we joke about it around here sometimes, but it's like, welcome to Northwest Christian Church. <laughs> you are a sinner. You are, and me too. This is, I'm not pointing the finger at you. Me too. You are a sinner. Because it is so important to the gospel that we understand this that we are bad guys, and then there's Jesus. And Jesus comes to us, and he wants to change and transform our life. We'll talk about that in a minute. But Jesus comes to us in grace and says, even though you've sinned, even though you've fallen short, I'm going to forgive you so that you can know God in this life and in the next. And so Paul knew what people were going to think. Here it is on the screen for you. Can we trust you? And can we trust your message? Paul, it sounds too good to be true. It sounds too good to be true. This whole grace thing, it sounds too good. Can we trust you? Or like, have you received this from men? One of the things they used to say about Paul is like, are you even like a real apostle? Right? Because the other apostles walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus and knew Jesus. Like, Paul, are you even legit? Like, like can we even trust you? Can we even trust your, your words? And Paul wanted to make it clear. You probably saw this in the text. Paul makes it clear again and again in this text that he says, listen, I did not receive my message from a human being. I received my message from Jesus. And that is very important to Paul that we all understand this. He says, listen, I received this message of grace that you can be forgiven that you can have new life, that you can walk in grace, that your eternity can be secured. Paul says, listen, I received that from Jesus. And, and throughout the Bible, you, you see these stories where God speaks to people, right? And, and we all kind of uh, uh, look at that with awe and wonder, thinking, man, I think life would be a little bit easier if God would just like say, hey, do this, right? Um, and, and we read these stories like the story of Abraham, where God goes to Abraham and says, hey, leave your country, your people, and your father's household. And Abraham, here, here was the message. Abraham, start walking. Where am I going? I'd like to know the five-year plan, Jesus. Jesus says, no, I'm not giving you the five-year plan. Start walking. And, and we think that's easier because, because God said that to him, right? Because God commanded him to do that. And I don't think it was any easier, but that's exactly what Abraham did. He started walking, and he left everything, um, most of his father's household except for Lot, which ended up being a train wreck, but that's another sermon for another day. And uh, he started walking, and God had promised that he was going to turn him into a great 
nation, and out of that nation, the Savior would be born. And we know that nation comes to be Israel and eventually leads us to Jesus. There's another time where God's people are enslaved. And uh, Moses is, uh, this guy Moses is walking by and he sees a bush in the desert that is on fire, but it's not being consumed by the fire. So it's just forever like burning or whatever. And he stops to take notice of this bush and stops to look at it. And in that burning bush, God delivers a message. And it said, the Lord said, I have indeed seen seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come now to rescue them from the land of the Egyptians, God's people were in slavery, and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, uh, per- yeah, Perizzites. Uh, have, uh, you think this is easy. It's not, I assure you. All right. And now uh, the cry of the Israelites have heard me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So go now, I am sending you to Pharaoh, to my people, the Israelites, to bring them out of Egypt, Exodus 3. And it takes a little bit of conjoling, to be sure, but Moses eventually does go. God's people are rescued from their slavery. They go and they settle in a land that would later become Israel, and through that nation, Jesus comes to be born. So here's the, like, people hear these stories Like, all right, Moses, Abraham, we understand. Moses, we understand. The other apostles, we even understand because they like walked and talked with Jesus. So we understand, but Paul, what's your story? And it was important to them that, it was important to Paul that they heard his story. He said, listen, I persecuted the church. In my religious zeal, I persecuted and I killed Christians. And one day Jesus shined a bright light in my face, blinded me and revealed himself to me. And he gave me the gospel of good news that I, even Paul the persecutor, Saul the persecutor, I could be forgiven. I could have new life. My eternity could be secured in Christ. And at some point, Jesus gives him this gospel of good news. And Paul says, listen, I didn't consult with a bunch of human beings. I didn't run this message through a consulting firm to make sure it was palatable. Paul says, I didn't do that. He says, you know what I did? I preached what Jesus told me to preach. This is what I did. I preached what Jesus told me to preach. So you read Paul's writings and you are going to see him preach grace. You are going to see him preach new life. You are going to see him preach eternity secured. You are going to see him preach these things. And it wasn't because some human being convinced him of this. It was because Jesus had convinced him of this. And why on earth is Paul like beating this drum so hard? And I think there's a couple of reasons. One is that we all know that human ideas, ideas that come from human beings are sometimes wrong. Right, let me give you an example. And Paul had a personal experience with this, by the way, that when he was in Judaism, he persecuted and killed Christians. He thought that was the, the good idea the right idea to protect his religious zeal. So Paul had a, um, a personal example of sometimes human ideas being wrong, but let me give you a, a sillier example. Back in 2001, there was a new piece of technology coming out that was called Ginger at the time. And uh, the tech experts were saying that this tech was gonna be bigger than the personal computer. Uh, the inventor said it will be to the car what the car was to the horse and buggy. All right, so this technology was going to absolutely radicalize and and change transportation. And on December 3rd, they kind of launched this to the world on Good Morning America. And by that time, its name had changed from Ginger to Segway. 
Uh, and on uh, the Good Morning America, the uh, inventor of the Segway said that he thought he was going to sell 50,000 Segways his first year. That was in 2001. In 2002, they ran into trouble. They found out that the Segway was too bulky and fast to be on sidewalks and too slow and cumbersome to be on the road. Uh, the U.S. Postage Service uh, tested the Segway for uh, mail carriers, and Disney tested it for their workers, and they both rejected it after testing it. They discovered that the cost of the Segway was $5,000, and uh, for $5,000, you could get another mode of transportation uh, that was a whole lot more safe than the Segway, and that was holding custom consumers back. And then in 2003, President George W. Bush famously took a tumble on a Segway. And uh, that led in 2003 to a massive recall. And the Segway, supposed to radicalize the transportation industry, the Segway never moves past the tourist industry. Right? Human ideas are sometimes wrong. So they want to know, Paul, where did you get this idea that it is by grace we are saved? Where did you get this idea that we can live a new and different life than we were living before? Where did you get this idea that our eternity can be secured in Christ? And Paul says, I didn't get it from any human being. I got it from Jesus. So human ideas are sometimes wrong. Human ideas are sometimes self-serving. Imagine if I stood up here and I said, I think tall preachers should be paid more than short preachers. Fabulous idea, correct? Right? You'd see right through that. And you'd say, that is so self-serving. I can't believe Steve said that. That is so self-serving. It happens to be true, but it's self-serving, right? <laughs> and we live in a day and age where it is possible in our free culture for people to get rich and famous over the gospel. Uh, you can sell your books, your sermons, your ideas, and we live in, where everything kind of sells, and you can make a lot of money. And it makes some of us suspicious and cynical and maybe rightly so. This wasn't the case for Paul. The gospel was not a self-serving venture for Paul and for the other apostles. The gospel actually cost them a, a, a lot. And they, they obviously received the most important things, grace, new life, eternity, all right, forgiveness, joy, hope, peace, all that stuff. But nobody in this day and age was getting rich off the gospel. As a matter of fact, I've shared this list with you before, but I want to share it with you again because I think it's important to make this point about what giving their life to the gospel, what that really cost Paul and the other apostles. So if you start with Peter and Paul, they were both martyred in Rome in 66 AD during the persecution of Emperor, uh, of Emperor Nero. Paul, we know, was beheaded, and pa Peter was crucified upside down because he did not want to be crucified the same way his Lord was crucified. And so when they were getting ready to crucify Peter, he said, no, 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 I am not worthy of dying the same way Jesus died would you please crucify me upside down? And they crucified Peter upside down. Andrew, uh, the apostle Andrew went to the Soviet Union and uh, he is uh, noted for being the first one to kind of bring the gospel to the Soviet Union. He also preached in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey, Greece. Uh, and it's in Greece that he is said to have been crucified as well. Uh, Thomas was most active in East Syria. Uh, they have him preaching as far east as uh, India. And uh, Christians revere him there as kind of their, their uh, earthly kind of founder. And they claim that when, uh, the way that he died was he was pierced through uh, with a spear by four, four soldiers. Um, Philip died in uh, Asia, Asia Minor, uh, where he was arrested and, and put to death. 
Uh, Matthew, the tax collector, was stabbed to death in Ethiopia. Uh, Bartholomew, uh, all we know is that he was a martyr, that, that he died for the gospel. They don't know exactly how. Um, James was uh, stoned to death. When he didn't die from the stoning, they clubbed him to death. They brought out clubs and beat him until he died. Uh, Simon the Zealot uh, was killed after refusing to sacrifice to a sun god. And Matthias, who replaced Judas, um, tradition has him uh, in Syria being burned to death um, uh, for not uh, giving up on the gospel. And uh, John was uh, the one apostle who kind of died a natural death, they say, um, that um, when uh, Domitian, uh, the Roman emperor, began his persecution in the 90s, he was exiled to Patmos uh, after they tried to boil him alive and it didn't work. And so he was still alive. So they just exiled him to Patmos where he ended up writing the book of Revelation. Here's what I want you to see. These guys weren't getting rich. They were not getting famous. They suffered great loss. Paul talks in this text about how he lost his standing in the system he grew up in. He lost his standing in Judaism. He underwent intense persecution. Why would he do that? I think it's easy to kind of dismiss it when you can see that somebody's obviously doing that for the money. Somebody's obviously doing that for the fame. Somebody's obviously doing that to sell books. It's easy to get cynical and, and kind of see things that way. But what do you do with Paul? Why would somebody do that? And here's why, if I can be overly simplistic. Here's why you do that. Because it's true. When there isn't fame, when there isn't money to kind of be cynical about, why on earth would you give your life to something like this? Because it's true. And then the second truth is even as, as, as important as that, it's true and it's important. And so Paul wanted, the people, Paul wanted the people that he was writing to to know grace, to walk in grace, to have the relationship with Jesus they were created to have. And Paul wanted them to know in this text, he did not receive this from human beings. Jesus Christ came to him and said, this is the gospel of good news. Share this with the Gentiles. Share this with the whole world. I want people to know grace, walk in grace, have their eternity secured, walk in new life. And we don't exactly know um, what the uh, Jesus sharing the gospel with Paul looked like. I, I like this one quote that I came across and um, it, it brought out kind of an interesting point. He said, of course, Paul uh, did encounter uh, Jesus on the Damascus road after Christ's resurrection. And while Jesus' appearance to Paul may have been different uh, in character from Christ's pre-ascension appearances. So after Jesus first resurrected from the dead, he appeared to several different people. And this is different. The encounter with Paul was no merely subjective vision. As both Jesus' voice and the bright light were seen with Paul's traveling companions. All right, so this person's pointing out that there were witnesses to what happened with Paul. And the Lord chose Paul to proclaim his name to both Gentiles and the children of Israel. It was in part through his tireless efforts that the gospel of grace spread through the Mediterranean world. He received this gospel from Jesus. And here's why this is so important. Paul wants you to know these truths. If it's true, and we, we, we believe with Paul that it is, if it's true, then here's what's also true. It's true he can forgive you. It's true he can forgive you. Paul says, I received this from Jesus. 
Jesus has affirmed to me that he can forgive sin through the gospel of good news, but Paul also experienced it. It's not just Jesus told him, Paul experienced it. And Paul is affirming to us this morning, he is faithful and able to forgive all your sin. That in the grace of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven and set free. So I'm not sure what you were up to this week, but I am guessing it was not persecuting and killing Christians. If it was, I'll be in the overflow after church. We need to talk, all right? So I, I don't know what you were up to, but it probably wasn't that. That's what Paul had been up to, all right? That's what Paul had been up to. And, and he says, listen, I ha- Jesus told me he would forgive my sin. I experienced his grace. I experienced his forgiveness. And Paul looks us in the eye in the book of Galatians and every other writing that we have access to that, that he penned. He looks us in the eye and says, he can forgive you. He can forgive you. So it's true he can forgive you, right? It's true he can lead you to new life. That we believe that by the power of the Holy Spirit, any person can change. And our culture has become kind of resistant and oppositional to this idea that uh, in our uh, desire that we talked about last Sunday to appear as more moral in our culture, we've kind of bought into this idea that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are forever going to be that way. That our culture is just very resistant to the idea that people can change. I've lost track of the number of times in media or whatever. It's like people don't change, right? People don't change. And that is not the gospel. And Jesus told Paul that by the power of the spirit, he could change. But then Paul personally experienced it. He went from persecutor to preacher. And he wants you to know this morning that by the power of the Spirit, change is possible. So you don't know the, the state of my marriage, change is possible. You don't know the, the state of my finances, change is possible. You don't know the state of my, my thing going on at work, change is possible. You don't know the state of my children and my grandkids, change is possible. The Holy Spirit can and often does invade any life and bring about new life and new change. And Paul said, man, Jesus told me this, but then I experienced it. You think about what Paul gave up? His standing in Judaism, his health, persecuted, and eventually killed. Why would he do that? He wants you to know it's true. It's true Jesus can change you. It's true Jesus can change the people you love. It's true that Jesus can lead you to joy, hope, and peace. Let me show you the book. Of, uh, this, uh, the, the, these are the words of Paul from Philippians. I love this. He says, indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So people are like, man, Paul, you've lost a lot, right? You're standing in the Judaism, you know, you've been persecuted, you know, uh, all this stuff is happening. He said, no, that's all a loss compared to the surpassing worth of just knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes uh, from the law, which comes from faith uh, in Christ, the righteousness that God Uh, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings and become like him in his death. I consider all things before as rubbish. 
It's a Greek word, uh, skaluba, skalubala, and it's, uh, it's kind of an intense word, this idea for rubbish. And um, I don't want to get exactly from the stage on exactly what this word means, but let's say if they had um, uh, like stickers for the back, bumper stickers back in the first century, let me put it to you this way. There'd be a bumper sticker that said, skalubala happens, all right? So you get what I'm saying, all right? Or you, you get a little something on your sandal and you're like, man, alive, I just stepped in skalubala, right? So, right, you get what I'm saying? That he said, I count it all as that compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So Paul, we would say, man, Paul lost a lot. Paul would say, I gained a lot. Paul would say, I gained a lot. I gained Christ. And everything else that I lost, it was honestly good that I lost it. And so uh, he says, the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ is everything. And it's true that Jesus, he wants you to know it's true that he can secure your eternity. That our eternity in heaven is secured because of the work of Christ. It's not what I'm gonna do that's gonna secure it. It's not what you're gonna do that's gonna secure it. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It is the grace of Christ Jesus, our Lord, that does these things. It is his grace that leads us to joy, hope, and peace. It is when we finally lay down, I'm gonna earn it, that we finally experience joy, hope, and peace. It is his grace that leads us to eternity. It is his grace that brings forgiveness our way. It's his grace that leads us to new life. So if I had one prayer for us as a church, it would be this, that we would walk, as Paul says in chapter one earlier, that we would walk in grace, that we would walk in grace, and that we would preach grace to ourselves every day. We would listen to music about grace, listen to sermons about grace, that we would walk in grace and we would experience these things and that we would lay, drop this kind of thing about I'm gonna earn it. I'm gonna be good enough. I'm gonna be good enough than you know, the line illustration last week that if I can just stay ahead of a, enough people that I'm gonna be okay. That we would drop all that and we would experience freedom in Christ from all of that. And we would enjoy the relationship as we follow Jesus in this life and in the next. And that's really, that's how the, the title of this series came to be, Independence. It is about being dependent on Christ. It's about being independent in, in him, that being dependent on him for our salvation, being dependent on him for our life, being dependent on him for our eternity, dependence on Jesus and, and enjoying his relationship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you uh, for his grace. We are gonna remember right now and celebrate that grace through communion and I just pray that this would be a time where we would kind of be reflective of the last week and say, man, um, I'm trusting more in me than I am in Christ, than in Jesus. And so I just want to trust in him, trust in his way, trust in his plan, trust what he's doing, and walk in him. We want to thank you again for what Jesus has accomplished and what he's done. May we be a people that walk in grace. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to receive communion right now. You'll find two cups stacked on top of each other. One has some bread representing Jesus' body. The other has some juice representing his blood. And this is just a time, this is a time to enjoy grace. Say, man, I screwed up this week. Jesus, thank you for forgiving me. I relied on my power and strength. Jesus, thank you for uh, 
reminding me of that so that this next week I can enjoy freedom and enjoy grace. Thank you, Jesus, for the way you have changed and transformed my life. This is a time of gratitude, of remembrance, and thanksgiving. And so we'll pass them out together, the two cups, and you can just hold on to them and spend some time with Jesus, thanking him for what he has done, thanking him for what he's going to do in the future. And then I'll come back up in just a few minutes, and um, we'll receive them together as a church family.